This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, Investor Mindset listeners, welcome back to another amazing episode. We have a fantastic interview coming up. I'm really excited about this one. But before I tell you about that, I want to remind you, if you're not already on it, head to theinvestormindset.com and join the Insider Club. We have some really cool announcements coming up about an amazing event we're going to be putting on with some of the best speakers and trainers in the country, and you're not going to want to miss it. So make sure you head to theinvestormindset.com so you can hear about it first. Let's jump into this episode. All right. Welcome back to the Investor Mindset Show. I am very excited. I have Neil Bawa in the studio today. How are you doing, Neil? Fantastic, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the show. I am excited to have Neil. Neil Bawa is a strategic and analytical investor who brings decades of experience operating in tech to the multifamily game. And after a successful company exit in 2015, he's quickly applied those skills to source, negotiate, and acquire commercial properties across the United States for over 300 investors. Uh, with a current portfolio of over 1,800 units or beds and projected to be 3,000 in the next 12 months, his business just keeps growing. And I'm personally excited to learn from that experience right here today. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an incredible journey. I, I actually sold that business in 2013 um, and uh, realized that I had a number of unfair advantages in um, in real estate and uh, those advantages were the things that I'd learned in technology. You know, the use of data science, the use of analytics, uh, business intelligence. I was surprised to see no one was doing it in uh, in the real estate field, and so I very quickly managed to to forge ahead. Actually, we we're closing, so we're we're going to cross our two thousand unit level um, in about two weeks because we have a closing coming up in two. That's so amazing. And it's so true. It's a shame, you know, coming from, I didn't have as much of experience in tech, but it's surprising the lack of marketing and data use in this space. So I think you're really on the right track. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you've hit some success. You've had an exit. You're kicking butt in multifamily. Why don't we start out by taking a look back? Mm -hmm. uh, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? I think um, to me, it was the fact that I came from a poor family. And I think that I became very conservative. My mother was very conservative. She was a school teacher in India. And um, I remember there being one five-year time frame in my life where we would have chicken once in two weeks. And right, so so you know that the basically having chicken on your plate was a celebration and it was a special thing. And you know, that time passed luckily, and, and we we went on to have some really good times. But I think it shaped me. And um, the other mm -hmm. thing that happened in my life was that I've been doubly unlucky. Uh, my father, my birth father, died when I was three weeks old. There was a very short war between India and Pakistan in 1971. He was a fighter pilot and, and died in that war. But what was interesting is that my mother remarried uh, to a man that really loved me and, and mm -hmm. you know, gave me a, you know, the, the principles that, that govern me today. And unfortunately, he died in a scooter accident in 1979. So wow. I think the, 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 to me, I didn't know about my birth father until I was 15. And so to me, he was my father and losing him was, was trauma and forced me to basically grow up very quickly. I was uh, eight and a half years old when he died and basically I had to you know, be 
pretty much an adult in the house, take care of my brother and sister, my, my half-brother and sister, because my mom was working all day. And that experience, I think, really shaped me. And so I, I think it's, it's adversity that really you know, makes us who we are. Yeah, it is amazing the experiences in life, how they, they affect us so much. I'm sure you can draw a lot of your current experience back to you know, dealing with that when you were a kid. And so at eight years old, when he passed away, how do you think that guided you down the path that you're now on today? I think the, the first thing was you, you were, when you see adversity, you're really driven to succeed, right? So mm-hmm. I see my, my son, he's you know, academically very strong, right? He's doing really well in, in school, but I don't see that drive because he's never really had to face any adversity. He lives in a beautiful home and you know, basically has everything that he needs. And to me, I think that that hunger is very hard uh, if, you, if you haven't faced a shortage of everything. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, which, which is a, it, a challenge, I think, for, uh, for people. It's a challenge for people that don't have to see that shortage. And so to me, I think that we Americans, by our nature, we're the richest country in the world. I think there, you really have to work extra hard to be motivated, to strive, to drive, to, to push for excellence, uh, which comes naturally to immigrants like me. I, I moved here in 1997. So to me, just the chance of living in the U.S. was so extraordinary, right? My mom always used to say, even when you lived in India, you never lived there. You were always mentally in your mind in the U.S. because you, you, you loved, the, loved America so much. And I, I, I think all of those things shaped me. I've, I've always wanted to come here. And uh, I have an anecdote that I want to tell you about, Stephen. In India, I worked for a large company. It was 27,000 people. And, and uh, this company, I was managing their network uh, in one of their locations. And over six years, three of my supervisors got promoted based on ideas or systems that I implemented. But the one reason that I didn't get promoted was because I would speak up too often. Right, mm. and I came to the U.S. and within three years got promoted all the way to senior most executive in my company for the same exact reason that I yeah. would speak up, right? That I would basically, you know, make my views uh, very clear and obvious. And so, to me, that that difference in culture was absolutely dramatic. Well, I think there's a lot of takeaways within what you were just sharing, but just from the most recent thing is mm-hmm. that you had a skill set, you had something that was really valuable, but in the marketplace that you were in, in India, they didn't value that. But yep. by bringing that same thing to a different marketplace, all of a sudden, you know, that's powerful and you skyrocket up the ranks. And so I think a lot of people can take that away. Like maybe what you got going for you is not working where you're at. But that doesn't mean that it's not valuable. You just need to find a place that so. will value that. I think so. You, you really have to do a skills analysis. What am I really good at? And mm-hmm. what area, what set group of people, what company size really values what I bring to the table? Because yeah. you know, a lot of people think that my value is X, and I don't believe that at all. Your value is X in a certain scenario. It's going to be much higher than X in other scenarios and possibly even lower than X in certain scenarios. So you should always basically be taking stock of that to see what are you really good at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because so many people who come from backgrounds where they had adversity, where they they weren't sure where the next meal was going to come from, or you know, in your case, you immigrated, you came mm-hmm. to the United States, and you had this vision of a better life. And that drove you forward. The fact that you were manifesting it since you 
were a little kid that you were going to come to America. You had this vision and you were driving towards something. I think so many people, even if they don't grow up kind of at the bottom of the Tolden pole, um, can find a way to have that same passion, but they just don't have the pain. They don't have the pain inside of them that drives them there. And they really need to think and really get to a place where they can find that pain. Because even if you're in the best place in your life, you could imagine what it would be like if you lost everything. But I think so many people get comfortable and they don't ever want to bring themselves into feeling that feeling. And I think that the, the when you talk about manifestation, when you talk about drive, right? Some of the questions that people don't ask themselves are things like, why is it today that Jeff Bezos is driven? Why is it today that Elon Musk, after having created four legendary companies, is driven, right? Mm -hmm. It is not about money because Mm -hmm. money really never drives anything, right? Mm -hmm. Your mindset has to be a mindset of achievement. Your mindset has to be one of how can I be the best person that I can be? How can I achieve the most that I can be? How can I contribute to society the absolute most that I can? Because that truly will drive you. If you're simply money driven, you're going to find it being hollow. You're going to find find out. You know, I'm I'm thinking about you know jets and islands and all those sorts of things. Why isn't it driving me? That's because money fundamentally doesn't drive you. You've really got to have deeper um, drives than that because those drives are much stronger than money is. Right. This is why billionaires are still today the most driven people. Because they were driven before they were billionaires. Nothing has changed for them. Yeah, achievement and contribution are the secret. If you can find something and, uh, and you can achieve and give back and add value to other people, you know, life's just going to be a lot better. It absolutely is. Yes, I mean, that, that's really the key driver. And as you, every year that you go get older, that driver becomes a bigger and bigger deal, right? What am I contributing? What am I doing? You know, it, you know, what does my peer group look like? Those are really the questions you're going to ask yourself more and more as you get older. So tell us a little bit about what your primary focus is today. What is it that you do, Neil? So my company... We buy large multifamily properties all across the U.S. Uh, my properties are in nine states, and uh, it's fair to describe those nine states as the Sun Belt of the United States. So essentially, you know, Georgia, Florida, Texas, um, North Carolina, the, basically the Sun Belt states. And our focus is both on buying value-add properties, 70s properties, and basically upgrading them. And now more and more towards developing properties ourselves. So my next project is in my favorite metro in the U.S., St. George. You know, I'm a, I'm a data scientist and a demographer. And so what I'm best known as for, for my webinars is to basically profile cities and neighborhoods in the U.S. and say, okay, here's 100 out of 100 and here's a 1 out of 100, right? And I, uh-huh. I enjoy doing that. So I'm, I'm at conferences about 20 times a year teaching people about the, the difference in neighborhood quality and city quality because I tell people that's what affects your returns. You could buy 10 yeah. different properties that are the exact same property in the same exact condition with really almost the same quality of tenants and you'll see a massive difference in the profit between those 10, 10 uh, properties. And the difference is really the neighborhood and the city that you're investing in. So that's what drives me today to basically talk with people about these high quality neighborhoods and cities that are not well known to anyone in the US. And of course, from on the investing side, I'm looking to invest in those places as they're going up the curve. Now that's becoming increasingly difficult because we are in the eighth year of this cycle. So we're in a mature real estate cycle. And so it's becoming a bigger challenge. So when I do find something and I 
do implement. And six months later, I can send my investors an update on, hey, here was the premise. And here's what we've done in the last six months. Now it's infinitely more satisfying than in 2015, where I feel that all ships were rising and everyone was looking like a genius. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what what would you say, because I, I know that you're starting the market, you're studying the different markets. What would you say to those people who are saying, you know what, you shouldn't be investing right now, or it's about to crash, uh, I should just leave all my money on the sidelines? Uh, short answer, you don't understand the nature of real estate. So I'm going to address that question specifically for real estate, because that's what I know at this point yeah. of time. There is no real estate cycle. No such thing exists. There are 2,200 real estate cycles in the United States. Mm. I, would, I would absolutely agree with you that a vast majority of those 2,200 cycles are in the 7th or 8th or ninth inning of the baseball game. But mm. here's the point. There are many, many of them that not only are in the first three, four, five innings, but there's also this, this, there's this understanding that a cycle only proceeds forward. When you think that way, you don't understand cycles. It is very common for, you know, think of a nine-inning baseball game. So X market, let's say Columbus, Ohio, is in the fifth inning. Now everybody thinks, well, after the fifth inning, it can only go to sixth. Wrong. Very often, a fifth inning market will go to fourth inning, will go to third. Why? Amazon opened a new center there and, and mm. brought in 5,000 jobs. Or something else happened. Or uh, Fannie Mae said, okay, we, instead of doing 65% loans here, we can do 80%. And that now, basically, the cycle has become longer for that city. And so it's no longer in the fourth or fifth inning. It's back to the third inning. Cycles don't always just go in one direction. Right. If you look at Washington D.C., it was in the ninth inning of the ball game in 2016, and today it's still in the seventh inning. So it's gone backwards. So understand that you cannot make these generalistic statements that basically say things like, "Hey, we're in the you know fifth inning or tenth inning of the ball game. It's too late. You cannot invest." The the answer is there are less investments today that are early stage than they were before. So if you make a statement, now you're being correct from the perspective of data and analytics, it simply means that your search is longer, you're going to take more time to find stuff, and you're going to make more offers and you're going to lose more offers. If you're willing to do that, and in my case, I've lost the previous 20 offers that I've made, I've lost them all, and I'm okay with that, right? Because that's the nature of the business today. If you're okay to do that, then you should continue to invest. If you want to spend the same amount of energy that you were spending two years ago, then it's time for you to sit on the sidelines. Wow. Wow. That is a completely different mindset about how to view what's actually going on within the markets that I think a lot of people aren't really hearing about. You know, they always think of the market being one big market. You know the whole U.S. market, but realistically, what you're sharing with us is that each different city, each different sub-market within those cities are all running on their own cycles. Yes, and, 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 and even within an individual city, like let's say St. George, my favorite city in the U.S. to invest in, even that city goes back and forth. And these are mm-hmm. that, that's a city that's the fastest growing in the U.S., so you'd think it only goes forward. And the answer is yes, it only goes forward, but at different speeds in different quarters, right? Mm-hmm. And so I encourage anyone who wants to understand how important what I just said is, by going to a URL, and um, you know, you, we can type this out. It's www.department. That's D-E-P-T of O-F numbers with an S. dot com. Department of Numbers. dot com slash employment slash metros. Now, when you go to this page, 
you're going to see the massive diversity between cities in the U.S. You're going to see cities that have not gained a single job in the last 12 months. These are horrible places to invest in. You're going to see cities that have lost thousands of jobs. And then you're going to see a set of cities like Reno, St. George, Provo, Utah. You're going to see Phoenix. You're going to see Orlando that have insane job growth, right? So when is it? when you look at that, I think the only truthful statement that you can make is, hmm, there's cities on this list that are three times better than other cities on this list. There's cities on this list that are six times better than other cities. How can we have one cycle when you can say that by simply looking at a list? And there's no other conclusion. Everyone that looks at that list is going to draw that conclusion, right? So understanding yeah. that the U.S. is one real estate cycle is is a myth, and you need to get beyond that. Yeah, that's definitely a next level way of thinking, and uh, I appreciate you sharing with us uh, about that. I know that there's some ways for people to learn more about that, which we can kind of share at the end, some some free training that you have. But you've obviously got a completely different way of thinking about investing, and I love that. But let's let's take a little step back. I know that when you had gotten started. Um, you had bought this property in Chicago and you're now just unloading it. Will you kind of talk to us a little bit about what you learned from that experience and kind of what happened? Oh boy, what did I not learn? So uh, this property happened to be in South Chicago and my premise of investing was I happened to know that the $2 billion Obama presidential library was being built about 60 feet, 70 feet from one of the buildings, just across the street. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that Tiger Woods was a friend of President Obama's and was considering taking over South Shore Golf Course and turning it into a PGA Championship Golf Course, so about $70 million. And the golf course is so close that I could actually wow. stand on the second floor of one of my buildings and throw a stone and hit the golf course. It's that close, mm. right? Wow. So. I, I sold it to my investors and they believed everything that I said because the things that I was saying were, were fundamentally correct. But here's what I missed out on and I will never miss that out again. The area quality on the day of purchase was absolutely horrific. So the people that mm -hmm. live there, it's an extremely ridiculously tenant-friendly area where it mm -hmm. takes six months to 12 months to evict people. There's a very high number of professional tenants. These are people who know how to yeah. basically stretch out the, the the eviction process over a year. So it takes a, a year to mm -hmm. get them out. Um, the um, area had incredibly high crime. None of these things I really discovered fully uh, until after the purchase. Um, uh, for instance, I bought the property in 2015 and in 2016, on one day, Seven people died in the South Shore neighborhood in three separate gang-related shootings. Wow. Within 12 months of that, Stephen, 10% of the population of South Shore was gone. Right? When wow. you have a 1% population loss in a single year, that can be devastating to the overall area. When you have 10%, it is catastrophic. And so what we had to basically do, and I, I mean, to me... Within a month of buying the properties, I knew the problems. I didn't wait for the shooting. So the first thing I did was I hired full-time people in the Philippines, one person to create lead flow and one person to process that lead flow. So we went, mm -hmm. the property, the day that I got there, was getting roughly 50 leads a month. And there was no way that I could even keep it at 80% occupancy at 50 leads a month. Mm -hmm. I calculated and the math came out to, I need 250 leads 250 leads a week. That's 1,000 wow. leads a month, which is 20x what the property was doing. 20x, not yeah. 2x, but 20 times as much. The only way that I could 
Go20x was do something radical, do something different. So I hired full-time people in the Philippines and told them, you know, I want you to look at every listing engine in America. And I want you to hack them. Don't do anything illegal. Don't inject code. Don't get me in trouble. I don't want to end up in jail. But if there's something that you can do on those engines to basically get an advantage over others, do it. And it took about three months for us to find those advantages. And now I can proudly say that at the end of those three months, we had figured out how to make ourselves the most visible building in America. So by the end of that time, we had 48 Craigslist ads running for this one apartment complex. Altogether, between nine listing agents uh, engines, we had 300 ads running. And immediately, we went to 250 leads a week, right? So last year, the property generated 12,700 tenant leads. Now, mm-hmm. no property manager in the, in, the, in the U.S. is equipped to process 12,700 leads, so they would have all been a waste of money. So what we did was, I went and hired a person in the Philippines, her name is Janice, and basically said, you're going to process these 12,000 leads. And she was like, I don't mind making 150 calls a day, but you still can't process 12,000 leads with 150 calls a day. So then what Mm -hmm. we dreamed up was that instead of making more phone calls, we would start creating text messages. So what we did was we took these, um, so imagine a smartphone screen that's about five and a half inches wide. Right now, imagine a graphic that fits that five and a half inch screen that tells you the story of the property. You know, it gives you the pictures, it gives you the amenities, it gives you the fees, it tells you where the properties are, where the bus stations are, where the train stations are. Imagine five pictures like that that are portrait mode. Right now, so we created those pictures, and every time somebody would fill out a form for our property, we would send these five immediate text blasts boom, 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 boom to them. Right. And guess what would happen, Stephen? They would stop filling out forms for other people's properties and start staring at their phone. And then many of them would just tap the phone number that was at the top right, the phone icon, and call us back. And now, instead of chasing them, we were able to process the lead within 60 seconds of it coming in. And this way, with one full-time person in the Philippines, we processed 12,500 leads a year. So in this process, you went from taking a property that was essentially a piece of garbage. You didn't really know all the things that you now know. You realized that, hey, I got to be really conscious of what's going on from a crime standpoint. I got to be conscious about whether or not the things that I think are going to happen are actually going to happen. Um, and you started putting that into to play. What was the outcome of this property? Did you end up being able to deliver what you had promised? I, I wasn't. So the, the short answer is the property's on sale now. The investors will get their money back and they'll make some money, but it's, it's, it is not what, what the, the returns were. So for me, the, big, the outcome was that the investors didn't lose all their money. Because 30 yeah. days into that property, Stephen, I believed that the likelihood that the investors would lose every single dime was over 95%. Wow. Right? And my, so to my investors, nobody considers me to be a hero. Nobody that's invested in that property is going to invest with me again. Maybe they will. But to me, that property represents a greater achievement in my life than any of my other properties, not even the ones that make 30% a year. Right? This property is my greatest achievement because of the learning that I had to go through, right? I mean, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I had to learn how to basically hack all these engines and generate tens of thousands of leads. I had to learn how to do this, the Filipino outsourcing model that now has become very popular with all of my properties. And Mm -hmm. that model applied to better quality properties creates insane amounts of money. So to me, Mm -hmm. 
the the greatest failure of my professional life is the greatest success of my professional life. And I'm very candid and honest about it that my investors yeah. in that project didn't benefit from it. I mean, in one way they did. They didn't lose all of their money. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, because you know, so many people would say, "Neil, you know, I screwed up. I made a I made a poor decision to buy this property. It was not the right call." Maybe I should just hang it up. But it sounds like you took this from a learning perspective and you said it's not a failure because I was able to really resurrect this property from nothing. I learned an incredible amount and now I'm applying it to everything that I'm investing in moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, the truth is that apart from the fact that those investors you know, didn't lose their money, the benefit of that property my 11 other properties, all of the investors there, there's four or 500 investors in those 11 other properties are all going to benefit from what I learned there. So yes, I, I definitely was able to take something that was a very adverse situation. And I wish I could say to you, Stephen, that over four years of fighting, I did turn it around and gave my investors a glorious 20% annualized return. Nothing like that happened because the property was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. In the first five days that we were there after purchase, its occupancy fell from 83% to 77 right? We would have been at 50 if we hadn't turned it around. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. So, you know, obviously you're kicking, you're kicking butt. You just shared a story of failure, but I know, I know the track record that you're working with and you're definitely one of those people who are an achiever that we should be modeling after. Why do you think you've succeeded in an industry where you know so many others haven't? I think that the first piece of it is is I have a very positive mindset. My family always tells mm-hmm. me this that you know I'll get down like everybody else. I'll complain. I'll bitch and moan when bad stuff happens. But the next day is another day, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a way out for everything. I believe that there's a happy ending for all of us. And I think that that mindset has to be relentlessly positive. I'm a relentlessly positive person. And, and that's made a huge difference to me in, in terms of my success. And the other thing is that I love to apply technology because I believe that technology, to me, data is the oil of the 21st century. People that grew up in Texas in, you know, let's say 50 years from ago, couldn't help but be rich because they had oil. Well, we've got oil. We've got oil that's better than, you know, mm-hmm. black oil. And we're not applying it. And to me, I have a very strong realization that it's there, it's right in front of me, and I apply it all the time. There's, you know, I could probably teach a five-day boot camp on how to apply technology and outsourcing. So where do you think that mindset comes from, to have relentless positivity? I think from my mom. Um, and this is a person that lost two husbands, you know, one in a war, one through a scooter accident. Um, and she was always laughing. And, and so she took it in her stride and brought up three mm-hmm. wonderful kids who've all had very successful careers. I think it was from her. She, you know, I'm, I'm sure that she was crying in, 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 you know, in the other room, but she never let, let us see her tears, right? To me, yeah. some, somehow I knew that if she could be positive, losing two husbands in adverse circumstances and you know, having to work two jobs to bring us up, then what right do I have to be negative? I think that can be so inspiring to us because you're sharing the story of how she inspired you 
to have this relentless positivity. But I think what's also so inspiring about that is that we can actually be that person for other people. So we, we look at others and we see, hey, they're being positive, they're being positive, they're dealing with all this stuff, they're continuing to you know, keep on trucking. Um, but we can be those people. Even if we're looking around and we're not seeing any of those models, we can be those for others. Yeah, one of the things I like to say, and I, I encourage my own children to do this. My, I have a seven, I have an eighteen-year-old. He, he, Fourth of July baby, turned eighteen. Um, you know, a couple of days ago, I tell my sons, you know, there's this uh, very common um, meme that you know you're you're going to be like the five people that are around you, right? So they're mm-hmm. very common, right? People hear that all the time. Actually, to me, there's something more powerful there. What is apparent to me is that you have the greatest influence over the five people that you're around, right? Mm. Just like they have the greatest influence over you. So have you ever sat down, Stephen, and you thought about those five people? Who are those five people? And you said, how can I help these people achieve their potential? Maybe it's just through praise. Maybe it's just through pushing them. Maybe some of them just need to be pushed. Maybe some of them need to be told you need to work harder. Whatever it is, what is your contribution towards those five people? Because if you really want to be successful, help them be successful. They're influencing you, so now you have this positive feedback loop where you're taking them up and they're taking you up continuously. Right? Look at it that way. Don't look at it as I'm being influenced by them. You have influence over them. How are you helping them achieve you know, the, the goals in their life? How are you helping them become happier? Because that's, in the end, that's what matters. Happiness matters. That is so true. Happiness is what it all comes down to. And I feel, I feel like a lot of people get away from that on that, on that goal towards, uh, towards achievement. You know, and there's a lot of ways that you can find that happiness. So from, from a habit standpoint, uh, what are some of the keystone habits, the things you do on a daily or weekly basis that help you succeed the way you do? I think one of the things that I do on an ongoing basis is I am asking myself this question, how can I do what I'm doing today better, faster, or cheaper? So that's a, ha- a question that I ask myself relentlessly. And my answer to that, and I'm sure there's 50 other good answers, is the use of technology and the use of outsourcing. It's extraordinarily heavy in my business. So we have a business with 18 total employees using 63 different cloud software to make us more efficient. So my answer is always try and apply technology. And if that doesn't work, then apply outsourcing. And that both of those come from my daily question, right? My habit of constantly saying, how can I do what I'm doing here better, faster, cheaper? The second one is that a lot of people say, you know, the first thing you should do in your day is to plan out your day. Uh, I do it the other way around. So I plan every day as the last item of the day. So when I'm finishing my day and turning off my laptop, that's what I'm I'm planning. So just this habit of structuring your day, your next day, is something that I found to be very powerful. The other thing is that I like to schedule everything that I do. So if you look at my calendar, it isn't just about me talking with Stephen on a podcast or me talking with an investor. Every item that I have is scheduled into my calendar. If I'm working on a presentation, it's in there. If I'm doing something different, if I'm, you know, so I schedule it all into my calendar and I follow that calendar. It's very frustrating to do it at the very beginning because you almost feel like you've no free will left, right? But you're the one that's picking the sort of things that go in there. So absolutely, you do have free will, right? Mm -hmm. So in my mind, 
there's always this conflict between Captain Kirk and Spock because Captain Kirk just wants to be, you know, he just wants to be flamboyant and spontaneous, right? And he, all he wants to do is get into trouble, right? And Spock's always the one dragging him away and saying, no, 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 let's, let's plan this out, right? Let's apply some logic there. And I, I have that battle going on between Kirk and Spock all the time as well. But I, I think in my case, Spock tends to win more often than Kirk does. That's, I love that. I love that. We've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So starting off, what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? So Impact is definitely the four-hour work week from Timothy Ferris. I happen to actually know Timothy Ferris and all of the principles that I've applied from a technology and outsourcing perspective come from there. The book that currently is making a huge impact is called Traction. Traction is really a book about not your the first year of your company, but the second year. How do you get from a full-scale startup to a company with structure and process and and you know all of the things that are needed to go from being a company to being a great company? You couldn't find anything better than traction. From an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors and how did they influence your career? I think my first mentor was my CEO of 19 years, who so he happens to be my best friend now. He's retired. And I think his influence was in terms of being conservative. He was very, very conservative. And I think that in multifamily, the people in syndication that are taking other people's money, one of the challenges is they're not conservative enough, right? Because what you are is a money manager. So think about people that are stock and bond money managers, right? Mm -hmm. What's the first thing? All of those people would say, I'm very conservative. I don't see enough of that in syndication. And so my, my conservative streak, uh, so half of it comes from my mom and the other half comes from this particular mentor. Um, I've also been influenced by basically just great people on the internet. I, I like, for example, Elon Musk, right? So now here is someone that, you know, my I live in the city of Fremont, California, which is the headquarters of Tesla. And so to me, what he's done, what he's achieved is not it, it it's not the opposite of being conservative it is it is setting high goals i think you can be conservative and set very high very aggressive goals for your company now you noticed you at the very beginning of this uh, podcast you read off expected to be in, at 3000 in 12 months don't you think that's a ridiculously ambitious goal to go from 1800 units to 3000 units in 12 months that's a year Right. Yeah, What's nice is I'm on track. That's because I made sure that in everything that I do, that goal is there. So every podcast I'm doing, every event I'm going to, I'm seeing it over and over again. So mentally, my mind is already adjusting to 1,200 new units over the next 12 months. And I see Elon doing that. The fact that sometimes it takes longer and the fact that sometimes he fails doesn't seem to stop him. It only makes him stronger. And, and he's one of these magic people that can run SpaceX and the boring company and Tesla all at the same time. And it shows me how much is possible, how much is possible for an individual. And so he inspires me every single day. Even on the days that he's fighting with the SEC or doing stupid tweets, he still inspires me. Absolutely, I love that. You can find mentors all over the place, and they can have completely different views or mindsets because you know you you take what you need from each of them. So finally, from a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? Uh, the pursuit of happiness. I, I, to me, I think it's more about it's not about you know the liberty part. It's it's really about happiness, and I, I think 
I am always trying to envision a life that is more perfect than the one I live. And because I've been doing this for 20, 25 years, I have to say I live a I live 100 out of 100 life already. But each year, I keep thinking of the next thing. So, you know, you might think that the next thing is a jet or a boat, right? But in OneNote, which is my note-taking software where I write down my thoughts and I have my vision board, do you know what's next for me? Like, to the one thing that would make my life more perfect? It's not a car. It's not a plane. It's not a vacation. It's the fact that I can now pay for a massage therapist to come to my home each Saturday for the whole year and give me and my wife massages so that we are more relaxed and we have better blood flow. So to me, those sorts of things make my life more perfect because you know it has a long-term uh, impact on my wellness. And, and, and those sorts of things, to be able to add that in, that's what's driving me to make my life just that one bit better. I love it. I am a big uh, Tim Ferriss fan as well, and I can hear so much of him in uh, in everything that you do. This has been amazing. This has been so much fun. Where can people find out more about you and get in touch? So the best place to start is a portal called multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily followed by the letter u.com, where we host over 50 deep dive knowledge webinars. They're all free. The, the whole website is free. Uh, for example, tomorrow night, uh, the number one company in real estate, this is the biggest company in real estate in the U.S. called CoStar, is telling us about the metro of Atlanta. So they're going to do a deep dive on Atlanta. Where does Atlanta stand today? How does it compare with the other 49 metros? Is it a good place to invest in? Is it a bad place to invest in? That's tomorrow night. And then day after tomorrow night, we have one of the nation's top experts on how you can take 1031 money and actually roll it into a syndication. Most people know that 1031 money can be rolled into other homes and, and you know you can save taxes. But he's going to actually teach you how to do it into a syndication. So that's Tuesday and Wednesday for us, two free webinars. We usually do 50 to 100 events a year. About a dozen of those are mine. And as you can tell, they're, they're very interesting and data-driven sort of concepts. Um, so multifamilyu.com is the best place to engage with me. And also, I, I'm, I'm very uh, active on Facebook, so just look me up. Um, you know, this, this is both good and bad, but I happen to be the only Neil Bawa on the internet. So if you just type in N-E-A-L Bawa, B-A-W-A on the internet, pretty much everything that you're looking at is connected back to me and will allow you to come in and connect with me. I love talking with people, so so feel free to connect one-on-one. Absolutely. Well, we'll include links to all of that in the show notes. Um, so Neil, thank you so much for sharing some of your investor mindset with us and uh, look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show, Steven. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 